Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 372 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Tuesday afternoon slash evening, October 11th, on the heels of what became a closer game than it was most of the way. The Braves losing at home to the Phillies in game one of the NLDS by a final score of 7-6. to six, A brief comeback bid in the ninth inning and all that fun stuff. But at the end of the day, the Braves are now in a 0-1 to one hole in a best-of-five series. Uh, I'm sure it will be brought up on this podcast and elsewhere that the Braves also lost game one of the NLDS last year on the way to the World Series, but at the very least, not what anybody wanted uh, here in Braves country. And I'm joined on this recap podcast by my friend and regular co-host, Scott. Uh, Eric Cole is here. Hello, sir. I was about to say, I mean, like, look, we're both very handsome men, so it's very easy to mix us up, Brad. I'm, tar- I'm tired, Eric. I'm, I'm already tired. <laughs> it's the first day. I'm done. Uh, and yeah, here we are. It was not a whole lot of fun today for anybody. No, it was a tough day. Uh, and just in a, in a lot of like some ways that were like kind of like uniquely weird and interesting and some that were just more infuriating than anything else. Um, you know, you, you just see you, you don't get your best version of Max Freed, which is what you really needed uh, kind of going into the what the, the Phillies are going to be able to run out for games two and three. The offense had their opportunities and didn't cash in on them. You know, it became interesting in the bottom of the ninth, to be sure. Uh, all of a sudden became a <laughs> it became a, a real baseball game, but uh, when Nick Castellanos puts up a web gem on you in the bottom of the ninth inning to, <laughs> you know, to to to, kill, to help kill a rally, then you know you pretty much know it's not your day. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff we'll talk about throughout the course of the game. And if you're a new listener or someone jumping on for the first time in the playoffs, what we're going to do is basically just dive full on very deep into this one game. We'll talk about a little bit game two at the end of the show, but uh, yeah, lots of angles to hit on. And generally speaking. I don't know that it was an unlucky game for the Braves. I'm, I've seen that word thrown around. I don't think it was really that. I think it was kind of, it was maddening. It was frustrating. Um, they didn't get like thumped in this game. It was like they were uh, completely outgunned. But at the same time, the Phillies play well. The Braves did not play their best, including uh, I would say probably headlined by their number one starter in Max Freed. And uh, the Phillies made plays. The big one at the end of Castellanos uh, didn't necessarily save the game. But if that falls or that gets to the wall, it gets real dicey in the ninth inning. And uh, a bad defensive outfielder makes a great play. And that was maybe a uh, microcosm of, of the way the day, of, of sort of the day and the game actually went for the Braves. So generally speaking, we'll uh, start at the top on these recap podcasts. And uh, that's with Max Freed, who did not have his best in this game. That's not breaking news to anyone who watched or even followed along via GameCast or anything else. But um, Max, this is the one game, and I said this before, and so, so did you and Scott on the preview podcast. This is the one game of the first three the Braves were really solidly favored in terms of starting pitching because game two and game three, 
Um, you're facing the Philly's best guys in Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, whereas game one, Ranger Suarez is fine. He's a pretty good pitcher. But the Braves were lined up. They had full rest, and Max Free traditionally is really good on full rest. But in this game, he was not. And uh, four straight two-out singles in the first inning to give Philly a 2-0 lead. It was a little bit unlucky when you string them all together, but they all had uh, expected batting averages of like 440 or higher. Like there were no flukes along the way there. And I thought Max's command was really not very good the entire game. And um, a stat that I saw making it's making the rounds, uh, Max had not allowed more than one run in the first inning since April 13th. That is six months ago, Eric, as we record this podcast in mid-October. And uh, to have that start, it didn't like, damn the team or anything like that, but uh, being down 2 nothing in the blink of an eye, uh, not what you want at 105 Eastern time, whatever time it was, when it was all happening. Yeah, and it just felt like he was <laughs> he wasn't right on a number of levels. When, when your command is bad and you're missing over the plate in like a healthy place where batters are more than happy to tee off on, that becomes really problematic. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people that are noting that his velocity was a little bit down. You wonder if a little bit if he's dealing with either some sort of injury uh, just kind of the rust of just not pitching in a while, which again, to your point, it's that he usually does well with extra rest, but that, I mean, it, it clearly didn't do any good. He also had that stomach bug. You wonder, you know, what's he can, how, how long it took him to recover from that. You just, you wonder a lot about a lot of things because at the end of the day, Max did not look good. I mean, he was, some people were like, you know, if RC, you know, gets his glove fully on that one ball, I think it was by real Muto, then, you know, he gets out of that inning or whatever. But I mean, like, he was giving up like rockets, <laughs> you know, like, like multiple 98 plus exit velocity, you know, batted balls in the first inning. That, that is a warning sign that one, your stuff isn't fooling them. And two, they're well prepared for you. And you know how you're sequencing, they know how you're sequencing your pitches and that's not great. And, you know, you can even go further. There was like a, a curveball to Alec Bohm that I was convinced was going to get launched into a different zip code. Uh, it was a hanger middle, middle, and it ended up only being a sack fly. This could have been worse. In a lot of respects, you know, the Philadelphia did a good job, you know, with some situational hitting stuff. Um, I did laugh out loud at Bryce Harper laying down a sack bunt, which, you know, cracked me up, uh, ended up not mattering at all because even on a double where he, where he had moved a double on the, to the next batter where he was on second base, he still didn't score because he had no interest in trying testing Ronald Cooney Jr.'s arm, which was probably a safe bet because that ball got to Ronnie in a hurry. Um, again, just kind of silly things like that, where, you know, you just, you know, Freed makes an error and he's usually a really sure-handed fielder. And that, and that, that run that from Max, you know, making that throwing error where, you know, Olsen barely got pulled off the bag ended up being the winning run in the game. Again, it was a frustrating game, but my concern primarily is just that, you know, Max just didn't look good. Uh, I, I fully expect that the Braves offenses, and we saw that today that the Braves offense is perfectly capable of winning any single game, but you give up a game, you, you essentially lose home field advantage. Once you lose today, uh, you have to play two games in Philadelphia, one of which is going to be, you know, helmed by Aaron Nola. It, it, this the series just got a whole lot tougher, and it was kind of again by some kind of, and again, you're right, it didn't feel so much like batted ball luck. It just, you know, some, it just wasn't good pitching. Uh, Jesse Chavez was notably not very good either. Once he kind of came in to kind of try to put out the fire, and he did not do that whatsoever. And it just it became frustrating, but you know, again, highlighted by the fact that just that really the more concerning thing is that there's a chance that you might have to have Max go a second time in this series and coming off of this game, you're not sure how good you feel about that. So. Yeah. I think you still have to have confidence in Max Freed, but certainly he was not very good. And 
it is fair to say like he didn't get a ton of help in certain spots. You, you mentioned the Arcia play, his own fielding. You know, it's always funny to me that a pitcher can have unearned runs based on their own error. That's always it's always funny to me. But I get why that is. It's just uh, the only error made in the game was made by Max Free. <laughs> it was like, um, but he ends up with two unearned runs. Um, regardless, though, like he he just wasn't crisp, and he could have probably given up a few fewer runs based on some help around him. But we'll leave it there for now. Uh, the other theme of the day beyond Max Fried's struggles was the Braves leaving runners on base and missing opportunities. And that really started at the first inning. Uh, they loaded the bases with one out after a double by Ronald Acuna and walks by Austin Riley and Matt Olson. And then William Contreras hits into a very ill-timed double play to end that threat. Uh, later on, they had the bases loaded again in the third inning with Travis Darno striking out. Um, basically, two bases loaded spots, one of which had one out. And to get zero runs, that's how you squander opportunities. And then later on, we'll get to it in more detail. Another big spot where they kind of interestingly pinch hit for reasons. Um, and those were the three spots of the game where they just had pretty easy chances that could have been at least just a chip away. Like just get, get one at a time and you're in, you're in much better shape in this game. But I thought, you know, the fact that it, the first inning, you can kind of say it was a microcosm of the entire game just because of the fact that three gets dinged up and they load the bases with one out and get no runs. And it's like, all right, that kind of day, I guess. Yeah, and, you know, there's a couple of factors in play here, right? One is that, you know, Dansby and Austin Riley had largely not very good days. But I, w- I do want to talk a little bit about the Contreras of that because if you get the umpire scorecard for tomorrow, <laughs> I will be shocked, shocked if the number one, like, swing in that game in terms of a bad call isn't the called strike that was inside to Contreras in that game. It was, first of all, it wasn't close. It was not, it was not a close pitch. Uh, you know, there, there were certainly some like ticky tacky, you know, like borderline balls and strikes that kind of went, I mean, I, they went both ways in that regard, but that one pitch with the bases loaded turns a situation where it's like, it's very likely that he walks in that bat and, and push, pushes in a run and then has Travis Darno come up, which as it turns out the next inning, he led off the inning with a home run. Um, and you know, the, you, you cut into that deficit potentially there instead you kind of he gets into a different count and look you, you you can't into a you can't hit into a double play in that spot that's obviously bad but it changes the whole at bat it changes your approach how do you have to kind of start being, you know being more defensive for that you know on that third strike and all that other stuff so again i will be shocked if that won't swing that kind of that umpire scorecard type stuff uh firmly in the phillies favor because that was a really really brutal call uh in a very very important at bat so and again, at the end of the day, he hit into the double play, which is uniquely worse. Uh, at the very least, if you can get the ball to the outfield, that scores a run because that was only with one out. Um, but when you have two bases loaded chances and you don't come up with any runs and you end up losing by one run, that's ultimately on you and the offense. And, you know, the Braves did manage to scratch together six runs in this game, but it, cer- it certainly didn't feel like a, a game where the offense was pulling their weight for the most part. And, you know, combine that was, again, a lot of the sort of the nonsense that started happening. You know, it's just, it, it, especially through the first, you know, five innings or so, it just felt like top to bottom, the Braves were just getting outplayed uh, and, you know, kind of doing some uninflicted stuff, which was pretty frustrating. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it, the the full the full game, the Braves scoring six runs is probably appropriate. You know, they had nine hits, they had seven walks. That's a reasonable number, but until the ninth inning with one out, having three runs did not feel like it was supposed to feel based on what the Braves have done. Even through three innings, they had racked up 75, 75 pitches on Suarez. They had three hits and four walks in three innings and had one run. 
And like, that's the kind of stuff that you just can't afford to have happen. Um, and that's what bit them at the end of the day here. Um, you know, we talked about Max earlier. He gives up a, a two run single in the third to go down by four one. Uh, a 4-1 mar- margin, he, he allowed seven hits in the first three innings. Philly had a very, very good 340 expected batting average to the point earlier about just not really being super lucky by Philadelphia. They were hitting him hard and hitting him, hitting them where they ain't, basically, as I say. And then the fourth inning, a further swing against the Braves. Freak comes out of the game early, and I was encouraged by that mildly that they did not leave him out there to die further. He clearly didn't have it, and uh, it was time to get him out of there after the one-out double. Um, Chavez comes in. I wonder how you feel about this. Uh, it's Chavez is kind of the neutral point where if they had brought in Jackson Stevens or they had brought in even Dylan Lee, there would have been outrage about them punting the game. Um, they bring in Chavez, who's kind of the guy right in the middle, because like if you if you're being aggressive there, you go to Colin McHugh or you go to even AJ Minter or something like that to try to like, all right, this is a playoff game. We have a day off on Thursday. It's staying right here at four one. Um, instead, they go to Chavez, who's like kind of the neutral party. He did not look great, as you said before. They intentionally walk Bryce Harper, and then he allows a single to Castellanos. It's something six to one. I didn't hate it. I'll say that, but I thought it was at least interesting that they kind of did neither. They didn't really punt, and they also didn't really push to kind of take advantage of that high leverage spot. Maybe they just trust Chavez. Listen, we all love Chavez. He's been awesome this year, but that was an interesting spot for me. Yeah, I mean, with the with the two righties, you know, that kind of I mean, like Dylan Lee has been good, for example, uh, and. If you, maybe there's lefties in there, maybe that's a spot that you use them in. I think there is a lot of trust, a lot of trust in Chavez. There is, um, and you know, but and you know, he made JT Real Muto look pretty silly, um, uh, you know, to get him out. You know, they put Bryce on, but you know, again, this was like the Nick Castellanos game where you know a guy who you I, you don't feel bad about the Jesse Chavez on Nick Castellanos matchup, which is not a sentence I thought I'd be saying in 2022, but you don't generally feel bad, but unfortunately it results in a two run single. So that's two inherited runners at score and Chavez gives up another run uh, in the inning after, you know, again, it's just kind of one of those things where everything that could go wrong did go wrong for the Braves in this game, particularly in the early innings, um, you know, just couldn't capitalize on, you know, when the Braves made mistakes, the Phillies capitalized on them. There wasn't a big, you know, a big home run or anything like that. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't something like that, which is oddly enough what we were kind of concerned about with Phillies that they have a lot of power and they certainly hit some balls hard today, but you know, it wasn't again, like, you know, like they got torched for three home runs or something like that. It's just, you know, a combination of just couldn't, couldn't put guys away and, you know, some ground balls got through. And at the end of the day, that's, was kind of the story of the game because, you know, all the Braves efforts later on kind of in the second half of this game were for naught. Yeah. You mentioned it being the Castellanos game. Uh, one way to measure that, this is not a scientific thing to point out, Eric, but uh, I got a notification uh, pushed to me from ESPN after the game. And it started with the words, Nick Castellanos. So that's usually a good indication of uh, the kind of day that he might've had on a, uh, on a national scale. He went three for five in the game. In addition to the uh, very funny, if you're not a Braves fan catch to, uh, to kind of seal it off in the ninth inning. All right. We have more to talk about, of course, uh, starting with the fifth inning and a little bit of a, of a flurry by the Braves and then the Matt Olson borderline heroics in the ninth and then a look ahead to game two. But first a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Support for this show comes from Sylvan learning as a parent. You want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. 
That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Eric, I'm breaking here on purpose because things were interesting in the bottom of the fifth. You know, you mentioned before Chavez allows a run in the top of the fifth. It's seven to one before Dylan Lee enters the end, the ending ends and the Braves come up down six in the fifth. Obviously, even as a podcast that always kind of pushes back against punting games, particularly in the playoffs, you're down six. You are a big underdog. Now, we did just see the Mariners erase a seven run deficit a couple of days ago in the playoff game, in a playoff game. And uh, the Braves have a great offense. So it's not like this is uh, out of reach. But uh, things got a little bit interesting immediately in the bottom of the fifth when Matt Olson walks, Contreras doubles, Darno doubles, and suddenly it's 7-3 and there's a little bit of rocking going on in the Philly bullpen. Um, then Arcia walks and Michael Harris hits the ball pretty hard, lines out, uh, and it's first and third with two outs for Robbie Grossman. Down 7-3, except Snicker had other ideas. Now, we're recording this right after the game. Uh, I've been looking. I know you have been too to kind of see if we got any indication on why this happened. I've not seen anything. Maybe you have. Um, I was baffled by this in the moment because Snit elects to pinch hit for Grossman with Vaughn Grissom against the lefty. Now, Grissom does hit lefties well, but that's the entire reason why Vaughn Grissom is on this. Vaughn Grissom, uh, by why Robert Grossman is on this team right now. And it's because. He's a lefty masher. That's why they traded for him. That's why he started today's game against a lefty, because we talked about this on the, on the preview podcast. They're not playing Grossman against righties in this series. I'd be pretty, I'd be pretty surprised by that. Um, but even, even more weird was that they let Grossman face a righty in the previous plate appearance. Now, I know that was early in the game, but once the lefty was out of there, I thought they might, they might even consider pulling Grossman. They didn't do that until a lefty came up in a big spot. So... Did you have a take on this? Because I've I've yet to see an explanation that makes any sense short of Grossman maybe being hurt. That's kind of all I know, but that was there was no indication of that either. So I just don't understand why this happened. And it's not, it's not an anti-Von Grissom thing. I just don't know why Grossman is on this team and playing if that's not a spot he's on, he's at, he's at the plate in because that's what he's there for. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm like he either had to be hurt or like there was a firm, hard decision to take him out of the game after X amount of innings or whatever. Uh, and I don't know why that would be the case either. Uh, there were certainly a lot of people who were wondering why Marcelo Zuna wasn't pinch hitting in that spot. Uh, it is notable that Marcelo Zuna's numbers in general aren't good. And uh, more importantly, well, he has, he has, he has and, and against lefties, yeah. yeah, and against and against lefties, he's been worse. So much worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, it, it was definitely like, and it caught everyone's eye. Everyone's like, this doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? Um, and as a result. You know, because if you're trying to make kind of an easier switch too, then maybe you just run Ozuna out there anyway, because you're going to have to play him in left field. And, you know, do you really want, I mean, 
Eddie Rosario versus Marcelo Zuna in, you know, left field for, you know, a certain amount of time, you know, that, that seems kind of like a, almost like a push defensively, although that's certainly not a good thing either way. It was a very weird thing to happen. And again, I've been looking this entire time we've been recording this podcast for an explanation as to why that happened. And as far as I'm, you know, as far as I'm aware, it just, again, I think there's something going on with Grossman because you're right. You know, they let him face the righty, which again, not ideal, but you know, it's early in the game. You don't want to pull the guy. That's fine. And you know, he's, he's, he's come up with a couple of good hits against right-handed pitching this year. So it's not like a crazy notion to keep him in uh, now that once they got Suarez out of the game pretty early, but when they, they get the lefty matchup that they want and they pull him for Grissom makes me think that there was some, that there's something going on with Grossman. And I just don't have a great explanation beyond he was probably hurt. And then they kind of just had to kind of, fly by the seat of their pants to pull it off. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some, not explanations, but like maybe like attempts to try to figure out what this might have been. One of them would be like, you know, if you haven't been paying attention recently, Vaughn Grissom obviously was super hot early in the season, and but he's been pretty bad for a while and also had only played once in any capacity since September 25th, and it was the finale that didn't matter at all. He played that entire game, but he is a 460 OPS in his last 15 games. And that's a small sample size, but it's not like they were going with a hot hand, which is something that Snit has done in the past. Um, I saw an explanation out there that like um, Grossman had been like 0 of 5 in his career against Brad Hand. And it's like, I, I hope that wasn't what was part of the decision. If, like, if, 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 if that decision was made because of a five plate appearance sample size against Brad Hand. Yeah, that would be. I have, I, I have some questions, but so uh, again, I, we haven't we haven't seen an actual explanation for it. No, we have. And uh, maybe that'll come and maybe they'll have them during the podcast. But I, I just as we record this at 540 p.m. Eastern, I, I'm still baffled by that one. You could say, is it, is it that big of a deal? Because honestly, here's the other thing. Well, I agree with you, and it's worth noting, again, just the numbers are what they are about Ozuna and reverse splits. I mean, it would have made a little bit more sense to me to hit Ozuna there, because at least you can leave Ozuna in left field. The other thing about... Exactly, the, that's what I was saying. It makes the switch easier. Yeah, yeah at, at least, like, I mean, I'm not saying it's great, that's a great option, but Ozuna, you could say, if you're Brian Sticker, you're like, all right, he's been a little bit better recently. We just, you know, it's a big spot. He's a vet, etc. With With Vaughn, he's ice cold. He's not going to stay in the game to play left field. That's not that's not happening. You're burning a guy who you might need later. And yes, they have Adrianza, which we'll come back to later on in the podcast to play defense if they need something like that. But you're burning two guys at once. You're putting in Rosario on defense, who's worse than Grossman. I don't know. The whole thing just doesn't make any level of sense unless Grossman's hurt. So, and look, they're down four runs there, and I get it. But and it's two outs. But they lose this guy by one run, and like it, it's a huge thing. I'm not saying that it, it changes the game or whatever. Like it could have though. I mean, that, that, that's a moment that. We wouldn't do a, a ton on on you know in July, but in a playoff game, it's just the nonsensical part of it. Like we're we're just kind of baffled. I think people probably hear that in our in our voices. It was just like one of those things where I can usually come up with what Snicker is thinking, even if I don't agree with it. You know what I mean? Like it was usually like a a hot hand thing. Yeah, or it was just a, weird. Yeah, or whatever. But this one, I just don't have anything for you. I mean, maybe it's just the super small sample size of how good Grant Bruce has been against lefties this year. But it's like it's like forty play appearances. Like I don't know. Anyway, we'll leave it there for now, but that uh, is one that I'd be curious about if we get an explanation at some point. Um, the rest of the game was really quiet until the bottom of the ninth. Like, the bullpen did its job in a big way, which should not be overlooked, and it wasn't like the big guns either. They, they, they didn't have to use Minter or any of the any of the guys. Iglesias like, didn't pitch in this game. They got five and two-thirds innings with one run allowed from Chavez, who wasn't great, but then Dylan Lee, Colin McHugh, Jackson Stevens were awesome. Cuts them right there. 
And uh, you couldn't ask for more from those guys uh, over five and two thirds innings. And like the door was open enough because they did their job, which is notable. No, I mean, absolutely. Look, I mean, J- Jesse was uniquely bad uh, because of, you know, giving up the uh, inherited runners that kind of, that, that kind of, you know, yeah. made things uniquely worse for him. But beyond that, you know, if the, the two guys that you wanted to maybe throw enough pitches in this game to like, for example, make themselves unavailable for tomorrow, it would have been Jackson Stevens and Jesse Chavez. Now Chavez wasn't good, but Jackson Stevens was really good. He was uh, kind of uh, at the end of the game to kind of eat some innings, get some big outs, keep it close. And, you know, the guys that you really have more confidence in, depending on, you know, in some respects, situationally, in Colin McHugh and Dylan Lee didn't throw that many pitches in this game, and they were both good. So, like, you know, again, the, the bullpen did their job. Um, I will say that I am heated, heated, Bradley, about this whole Jose Alvarado thing. I was ready for it for you. Uh, go, go ahead. I, I, floor is yours. I, I, I have no idea how he keeps being able to get away with delay the game to have the mound rebuilt every single time that he comes in and pitches at Truist Park. I just, I don't understand. It's just every single time that it has to be perfectly manicured for him just so he can just like pipe a hundred miles an hour and 50% of the time it ends up into the strike zone. I, I I think it's very, it's some sort of gamesmanship is at play there. It shouldn't be allowed because every single other pitcher has no problems taking the mound and, you know, doing their jobs, but he has to go and have like delay the game 20 minutes just so that the grounds crew can come out there and you know give him a brand new mound so that he can pitch properly. I I I I don't know all the rules in terms of what he's entitled to as a pitcher, but it's clearly being abused by this dude, and it it's it tilts me to know every every time he comes into the game, I know that there's going to be a 10, 15 minute delay at least because <laughs> you know they're going to have to like bring like a bag of dirt out, they're going to pound it down, and he's going to have to expect it with you know like his monocle or whatever just so that he can be satisfied to be able to throw. But it's it's super frustrating that he's allowed to do it, and I mean maybe he's entitled to it being manicured somewhat, but at this point it's getting ridiculous. Yeah, I have nothing to add. You're you're 100% right about that. It's 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 a it's it's a theater thing, I think, at some point. I mean, maybe he just a comfort thing. I saw somebody note that it could have been like where Freed was landing. I have no idea. I have the whole thing is crazy. Uh, it, it it's kinda... not just when Freed pitches. Well, Every single yeah. like again, there's a bunch of guys that are in that game, and Freed was only in there for three and a third innings. Like right, like, it's, what it's did, what, awesome. what what did what was Freed? What was did he dig a gopher hole in there? I doubt it. So, I'm sure. I'm sure. Philly fan listening to this podcast will think we're uh, we're complaining about it. Listen, this rate would be in there whether the Braves won this game or not. I can promise you that. Right now. <laughs> oh, 100 percent. If they yeah. if they had walked off in the bottom of the ninth, the second thing I was going to be talking about and ranting about was Jose Alvarado doing that because it, it irritates me to no end. It was very. It's just a very strange thing that you, you just don't see. We watch a lot of baseball and uh, it doesn't happen very often. So just a strange, strange thing. So. All that said, bullpen does his job, stays close. The offense kind of just went really silent for three or four innings. Even after uh, early on, they were not scoring at a high level. They were at least threatening every inning, and then they they kind of stopped. And then in the ninth, they threatened again. So Ronald Acuna running hard beats out an infield single. Dansby Swanson shows some life after a bunch of ugly plate appearances before this, uh, and singles to first and third and no outs. Now they're still down by, down by four, so a lot of uh, work left to do. Riley strikes out in pretty ugly fashion. He, he kind of had a pretty tough day at the office. But then Matt Olson built a three-run home run. Uh, four to 14 feet, dead center field, great swing. He's been really good lately in a lot of ways. And suddenly it's a one-run game with two outs remaining. And clearly, you know, they're, they're still underdogs at that point because they have to score again. But uh, it was a different feeling. I was like, all right, we're, we, you and I were talking about the podcast and coordinating. It's like, okay, well, we have to kind of wait on plans now because Matt Olson just went yard. And, uh, you know, 
they threatened. It kind of reminded everybody almost more. It's almost more frustrating now because they wasted so many opportunities early in the game and to only lose by one run. If they lost by four, it's like, okay, you can't really point to anything else. But when you have that big swing and maybe it's a good thing that just Olsen's going to be still firing on all cylinders. Maybe that's the positive takeaway. But uh, that swing was not quite enough, but it made it competitive and close down the end. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and he like he drew a couple walks in this game. He he just he he certainly has been doing his job down the stretch for the Braves. Uh, it's a little bit frustrating that Austin had such a rough day. Uh, to kind of before we get to that uh, that that swing is that you know Riley has been really good, really really good against the Phillies this year, and you know against Ranger Suarez, who was very clearly not. I mean, like. He, he and Max were in a similar boat in terms of how their command was going. Uh, the results were different um, for, again, for the aforementioned dumb reasons that we mentioned above. But, you know, you feel like he'd have some opportunities against, you know, a lefty who was struggling. Uh, and he didn't, he really, really didn't do that. And, you know, just to strike out in a big spot there was pretty bad. Um, again, that, that, that's been kind of the most disappointing things that Austin's been kind of, you know, has very clearly faded. But Matt Olson, I mean, like, I thought that was a routine fly out like it did he put a good swing on it but again it was kind of the deepest part of the ballpark he looked like he got under it a little bit but that ball just kept carrying and i I think even you know brendan marsh out there was like a little bit surprised that he ran out of room and he his back hit the wall and realized that that ball was going to go so you know a a big big spot from him and then unfortunately uh while bill Contreras uh again after a (laughs) another suspect uh strike call and that at bat as well uh ends up kind of golfing a ball the other way and somehow Nick Castellanos who is among the 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 worst fielders in the the majors in the outfield by my just again to my eye I I'm not going to go through and look at it a couple of the ones who really kind of hold that title were probably playing for the Braves right now but you know Nick Castellanos is not a good fielder and he ends up making a sprawling sliding catch that if it gets past him like Contreras probably ends up with a triple and and then it's one out and all of a sudden you feel like that the Braves could really tie it unfortunately that that didn't happen and you know Castellanos is you know reign of terror continued yeah we have covered Castellanos in depth so we'll leave it there for now but uh yeah that was uh you know if that if that falls did they win the game I don't know but it would have been a lot more interesting and a lot, a lot more pressure on Philly at that point but in the end it's a 7-6 loss for the Braves they end up with nine hits seven walks they left nine on base um, the three big spots, again, as we mentioned at the very top of the podcast, the two bases loaded spots and then the bizarre pinch hitting chance for Grissom. The bullpen was good, but you know, other than that, like takeaway wise, I don't have much for you. We'll talk, we'll touch on game two at the end of the show, but uh, clearly a lot of uh, urgency now because very simple math here, the price now have to win three out of the next four without home field. Um, does it mean the series is over? No, and we'll come back to that in a second, but that is uh, where we are at this point. We should at least touch on the roster reveal and the latest news with Spencer Strider before we go to the game two preview. The roster reveal had a little bit of a surprise actually on Tuesday morning. You know, we, we recorded our podcast on Sunday. Uh, Sean and Steven recorded an episode that's still in the feed right now and uh, worthwhile to listen to as well on, uh, on Monday, but the roster as, uh, as on brand for the Braves, they waited till the very last second to announce it. And they're only carrying 12 pitchers in this series. So they carry Adrianza as a 14th position player, which I don't love. Um, and I think it's because of, in fact, I know it's because of Tyler Matzik being left off the roster uh, with, with apparent left elbow discomfort. He's gone and seeing a specialist at this point. He's not like shut down, but he's not going to be around for this series. And that basically left the Braves with a chance with, with a choice between carrying a 14th position player, i.e. Adrianza, or maybe carrying another long relief type with Bryce Elder or Kyle Muller. 
as they chose to take Jacob Rizzi, which we predicted on the show on Sunday that was going to be what, what, they, what they would do there. Um, I don't know how you feel, Eric. I, I definitely don't understand 14 position players with a DH in place. I don't understand what it would take to get Adrian's on the field. Maybe exactly like today, if uh, if Von Grissom was already burned and you get an injury to Arcia or Riley, then Adrian's has to play. But that's kind of like it, it would take three things for him to actually get in the game. I don't really understand that 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 call, but maybe you like it more than I do. I mean, forcing yourself to carry a here Adrianzo because of the, you have some weird Rube Goldberg type plans for how you're <laughs> going to pinch it for like the, the 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 left field spot or the DH spot late in games is really really suspect. I think at the end of the day, what happened uh, is one: it is a shorter series, so it's kind of less likely that you have to like you have to lean on your bullpen so much that maybe that extra pitcher matters too much. Um, and I think that if Matzik was healthy. Like they would have carried 13 13. I think that's what would have happened. That. Yes. Um, now, that said, uh, I openly question the wisdom of carrying a here, Adrianzo, over, say, like Bryce Elder or Kyle Muller. Uh, maybe you just have just decided flat out that you are not going to use those two guys out of relief ever. Um, it certainly puts them in kind of a unique situation because they did have to use their bullpen a decent bit today, particularly a couple of guys who are multi inning guys uh, to, you know, cover some innings. So if Kyle, if Kyle Wright struggles tomorrow, Things could get interesting. Uh, I could, I should say, but uh, at the end of the day, like it wasn't like a move that I was like, I, I was certainly surprised by it, and I don't like it whatsoever. I don't think it's something that like moves the needle a ton for me uh, in terms of like you know, like wow, this really hurts the Braves' chances. No. Um, we can now we can circle this this discussion, and if like later on in the series, you know, they have a bunch of guys who are gassed because you know starters can't go deep in games or whatever, it's a little bit different, but you know. At the end of the day, I, I think what happened is just that they, like, since Matzik wasn't healthy, they just decided that Adrianza was going to be the more valuable piece of another pitcher. I don't agree with that whatsoever, but at the end of the day, I think that's what the decision was. Yeah. Uh, I'm not like super angry about this. I don't like it very much. I don't see the point of that with a DH in play, but I guess maybe the thinking is they have so many bad defenders in their key spots in the corner outfield, like your Rosario. Ozuna types that they want a little bit more flexibility, but I still don't, still don't love it. And I would have gone with one of the one of the kids just for for depth because look, you know there there is an there is an off day on Thursday, but if you get into a game five situation on Sunday, it's the third straight day. You might want to have some depth. Like what happens if you have a a guardian situation from this weekend and you have a seventeen inning game? Like I guess it's Odorizzi until your arm falls off, but uh, would I, it'd be nice to have another guy around that would do that similar duty like Elder or Muller versus uh, Adrianzu, who I would, if I had to bet right now, he's not going to play in the series. So that is uh, maybe the indication of all of that. Um, the other thing that was kind of, I don't, I don't want to say funny because it's a little bit funny, but maybe not. Um, the Phillies don't have David Robertson in the series, who's one of their best relievers, because he got hurt celebrating a home run during the wildcard series. You heard me right, Eric. He was, yep. he was injured while he celebrating jumped. a home run and jumping in the air. Thoughts? Uh, well, so uh, look, the, like the weird pit player injuries, like they are kind of funny. It does kind of like stink for him just to like not be able to continue to play in the postseason. Like he yes. can't play the rest of the series. He's just not on the roster, right? So that that stinks for him, but it is kind of like a, a funny sort of like reason to be out of a series. It's because you were doing a completely normal thing and just somehow managed to hurt yourself. I will say, though, that it does matter a little bit because the Phillies had to throw seven pitchers today. Sure did. And, and you know, you have to like their chances of at least getting some innings out of Zach Wheeler, but let's say the Braves, you know, come out really mad and they have to drive, you know, they manage to drive Wheeler out of the game early tomorrow. They don't have a ton of those arms that they can really rely on out of that bullpen. Um, 
uh, especially if if uh, umpires do the right thing and just stop Jose Alvarado from doing whatever the hell he's doing. <laughs> but uh, but I mean Zach Eflin threw a bunch of pitches today too. Uh, he, like and he gave up the home run to Olsen. So like the, the bullpen seems vulnerable and losing one of your kind of your better bullpen arms that you acquire at the trade deadline, you know, to an injury like that, like that, that is something that could matter. Um, again, I, I, I hate to make light of an injury like that just because again, it's not like he was like, you know, like riding a unicycle before no. a playoff game. Right. I mean, he literally, he just, he strained his calf and like just jumping. Now, again, that sounds like something that I would do whenever I would, how I would hurt myself. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I do feel for him a bit just because you, you don't want a, a guy who's something completely innocuous turning into something that like ruins your chance of throwing a division series. But it's something that very, it could very well matter because the Phillies really had to dip into the bullpen today. Yeah. And we talked about this on the preview too, but the Braves already had a bullpen advantage in the series in our minds. And while Atlanta lost this game, clearly, they didn't have to use their top three leverage relievers at all. Philly had to use a lot of their guys, and they're down one of their better guys already. So that edge is now magnified in my mind for especially for game two in particular. Uh, the day off should reset things a little bit in between game two and game three, but I still think that's, that's an advantage the Braves should have in this series. Um, speaking of other advantages, uh, Spencer Strider threw up a mound today. Uh, he was unavailable for the bullpen, which is not a huge surprise. But uh, after the game, Snicker said that his bullpen session went well and they will check on him tomorrow and then figure out a plan for using him in this series. Now we covered it, but in case people miss this, like I think people are assuming he's going to start a game. I still don't know if he's going to, and they're being very cagey about all of this. Um, if they're checking on him tomorrow, he won't pitch tomorrow. Obviously um, they have Kyle Wright going to start the game, but uh, maybe they'll line him up for game three or game four, but all of the Intel as we discussed on Sunday is still like not, lining up of him being like at full strength to go out and start at full capacity. Maybe he can throw a few innings, no matter what him looking good in a bullpen is good news and having him available is good news, but it might be as like part of a combined plan for game four. And maybe is my guess at this point, or maybe they do it in game three, if they have urgency and their backs against the wall down two or something like that. But um, I mean, it's all good news right now comparatively to a couple of days ago, but we still don't really have a, uh, a lot of clarity on the plan. Well, it's certainly, felt better when he was just added to the playoff roster, right? Like, yeah. I don't think that they even add him to the playoff roster if they think there's any lingering doubt that he can play. Uh, I will say that I don't necessarily hate the notion of having him as kind of a handcuff to Charlie Morton, who has looked decidedly human and has not looked good against the Phillies. And if they think that maybe he's going to have a short outing, then maybe handcuffing him to Morton uh, after that, you know, that first, second time through the order or whatever. I don't necessarily hate that option. Uh, I also don't mind the, the Braves being a little bit cagey about it because I think Strider's the pitcher that the Phillies are scared of the most. He absolutely dominated them this year. So, you know, be keeping them in the darkest kind of like when they have to deal with him is something that I don't necessarily mind. Uh, you know, are they going to, are the Braves going to just start him and like run him out there for six innings against us? If so, when, and, you know, like g giving them any time to plan for him or anything like that. Uh, I, I don't mind the gamesmanship in, in this particular interest because in, uh, in this particular situation, just because of kind of what Strider could be, um, you know, again, all the news that ever since like they kind of, he started throwing again, has been good. Uh, I just, it's hard to understand or really how much are the Braves willing to push him coming off an injury like that? Because he's not like, he wasn't severely injured, but he just hasn't thrown in a while. And the way that he throws is, I mean, you don't want a guy who throws a hundred, 101 just to be like, okay, you haven't thrown in a while. Go ahead and get out there and give us seven innings. That's, 
that that's a hard ask of any guy. Um, now how you know how extensive was his bullpen? How did he feel? You know, what are the Braves medical? What does the medical staff kind of feel about him just kind of getting back to normal usage? Uh, what are the Braves' thoughts on just kind of getting a guy stretched out and how much he has to do? All those things matter. We just don't know that information, and there's like zero chance that the Braves are going to share it. So. Uh, definitely probably the the most interesting remaining wrinkle in this series other than whether or not the offense is going to show up for you know against starters against for the Phillies yeah that all that all tracks and we'll see what they do with him but uh, he's at least on track and you know they added they added him to the roster on Tuesday morning before he threw the bullpen so they were at least confident enough to do that and then there was a little bit of that sort of final check thing on Tuesday so that's a good sign um Last thing before we get to the look ahead of to game two is that the start times are now available. Uh, cue the panic of Braves fans. We already knew that game two was going to be an afternoon game. It's a little bit later than today. It's 4.30 start. Uh, game three, also a 4.30 start on Friday. Uh, game four will be a 2.07 Eastern time start. And then uh, game five, if necessary, will be at either 4.37 p.m. or 6.07 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. It is scheduled for 4.30 and then it only becomes 6 if both the Yankee series and the Dodgers series are over. So it looks like it's going to be a whole lot of afternoon baseball this week, which I, I understand people, we, we discussed it all previously, but there was more uh, more outrage today. And I, I tend to agree. And also on the side of the uh, of the Mariners Astros series, because they have the same problem. Both series have no evening games, which is just, it's bad for fans, but we, we, we cover that at length on Sunday. So it's it's bad for fans. And again, just kind of my, if, if I read the schedule correctly, there's only two games on Friday. And they still have a 4:30 slot. Don't understand it whatsoever. Same, same, same just, thing tomorrow. Just, just, same thing tomorrow. Just, Wednesday and Friday. Two games. Just, just staggering the games. I don't understand it. I don't know why MLB just decides just to make it harder for the fans of the teams that are in the playoffs to watch their teams. I mean, again, I'd be I'd be upset for like <laughs> like Dodgers Padres fans if it was switched. Like, just, I just don't understand oh, yeah. why they I just don't understand why they need to do this. You can stagger the games a bit if you're really that worried about it. I don't, there's not like this like multitude of baseball fans. They're like, I want to make sure that I can watch just one game and then immediately go into another game and watch the entirety of that. Uh, the, you want to make sure that the fan bases that are have invest that are invested in their teams can watch their teams. If you make it harder, you're hurting yourself. I just don't understand it. We talked about it on the last podcast, so I'm not going to dig too much into it, but it's definitely frustrating. Yeah, it's bad. But now we have, now we have clarity, at least until Sunday when there's a little bit of flexibility there. All right, game two, as uh, in very obvious fashion, is a huge one for the Braves after losing game one. Um, I mentioned it at the top of the show, but the Braves famously lost game one last year to the Brewers and then won the next three. Now, this time around, the task is a little bit more difficult because in that game, in that series, the Braves lost A, on the road in game one, B, against Corbin Burns, who's an elite pitcher in game one. And this time around, the Phillies have their aces lined up for game two and three. And the losses at home instead of uh, on the road. So the task is more difficult this time. In fact, uh, I will just tell you now, all of the projection systems that I have seen, 538, Zips, etc., and all betting markets that I've seen, DraftKings, FanDuel's out, BetOnline is out, etc., all of them have the Braves as underdog in the series. Now, not a huge underdog, but when you lose game one of a five-game series at home and your opponent has their best two pitchers coming up in game two and game three, that is what happens. And that's why we talked about before game one, how important game one was on paper because that was their best matchup on paper and they lost it. So the sky's not falling, but uh, reality sets in where you really need to get game two and it is Kyle Wright against Zach Wheeler. I will uh, hand it off to you, Eric. What are you looking for in game two? Well, you need Kyle to 
pitch deep into the game because that means that like he's pitching well and you know again per- preserving the bullpen maybe doesn't matter quite as much because the arms that you care about going into the off day um are going to be plenty well rested but you know again just pitching deep into the game and matching wheeler because wheeler has been very good against the 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 braves historically and particularly lately like he was really good against them this year and th- this was the start that i thought that the braves were the least likely to win which was game two uh, and that's not a knock on kyle whatsoever i just like i think that much of zach wheeler particularly in this matchup so this is it, it's getting officially spooky um I, I still think that i mean the nice thing about Kyle Wright is that we've seen him pitch well in big spots in the postseason, and the whole and you see some you saw some life from the Braves bats late, and maybe that they can finally get over the hump and you know not leave you know like runners on second third or leave the bases loaded, and not actually cash in on those. That's you know particularly egregious, and maybe that they seem to have a pretty good approach or at least an understanding of how the Phillies are going to be attacking them. But Wheeler's a very good pitcher. Uh, with real live stuff. So if he comes out there slinging tomorrow, like the Braves could find themselves in trouble pretty quickly. They could. And I still think that if you were, if you were lining it up, game three is more difficult because you're in Philly and you don't have Kyle Wright on the mound. And I think you have more confidence in Kyle than you do in sure. Joey Morton or whoever in game three. I know Strider has been better than everybody, but he's not uh, been pitching. So maybe, if he, maybe he's pitched game three. It's different, but no matter what the Braves, I don't know. I have not seen an, an odds for tomorrow's game yet in particular, just the game itself. But you're facing an awesome pitcher in Wheeler. He doesn't really have huge weaknesses. Like he's not been great on the road, which I don't, I'm not a huge home road split guy, but maybe that matters on some level. But, um, you know, his, all of his peripherals are really good. He's got power. You know, he's really, really good. Um, You know, the Braves could be confident in Kyle Wright. I mean, we've, I know Scott has been on the Kyle Wright train for a long, long time and ended up being paid off this year for doing so. He's done a great job keeping the ball on the ground this year. Kyle's ground ball right is through the roof this season, which has helped him keep the ball, keep the ball away from going over the wall as well, which is a huge part of his transformation as a pitcher. That could help him against the Phillies, who are still a power-based team. And today they, they, they really weren't, but most of the time they still are. So we'll see. But um, at minimum, you're hoping for a split starting pitching wise, you know, in terms of I, I, we objectively, I think Wheeler is better than Kyle. That's not, it's not a shot at Kyle. I, I just think Wheeler's better, but at least you have a good pitcher in Kyle Wright lined up, which is helpful. And you're still at home and it should be rocking down there at Truist knowing the urgency level. Um, I guess the only question about Tuesday, about what's his game, I should say, is who's going to play left field in DH. Uh, we saw it today. It was Contreras and Grossman against the lefty, but now it'll be righties again. And I kind of think it's going to be, uh, We'll see uh, Azuna and maybe Rosario. I don't know if they're going to do Contreras or not tomorrow. Um, I, I, I mean, my, my thoughts are very clear on the last podcast. I want to see Contreras, and if it's uh, if you if you're just dead set on playing Ozuna, play him in left. But um, that's a question for Wednesday morning that we will not know until then. Um, other than that, I mean, the the numbers are what they are. I mean, I, I still think if I had to pick the series right now, I would lean Braves ever so slightly, but. Um, the confidence level has to be just by nature of math. This is not us not believing in the Braves. This is not us thinking the Braves are any worse today than they were yesterday. But this is the problem with short series and baseball. Baseball is a kind of a random game in a lot of ways. And when you lose game one, especially at home, the trek is uphill. Now, if you win, if you win Wednesday, I think most people will then pick the Braves again in the series. But yeah, that, that assumes a victory that you cannot assume. So it's a huge one. We don't want to overstate it either. Like the series is not over if they if they were to lose on Wednesday. We've seen the Braves win three games in a row. We saw them sweep the Mets when they kind of had to sweep the Mets just a week and a half ago at this point. But um, game two is a, a virtual must win. 
I never want to call it a must win because the series won't end if they lose. But uh, let's just say one one and uh, and down and down o two are very different outcomes. Yeah, exactly. And again, we've seen this Braves team perform well against really good pitchers. So I know that I'm a little bit doomer about you know having to go against Wheeler. But I mean, I did not feel good about the Braves' chances at all going into that Mets series that they had to sweep it when you have Scherzer and Degrom on the mound, and they ended up doing that. So. You know, at the end of the day, Wheeler's going to have to execute pitches. Whether or not he can do that is remains to be seen. And the Braves just have to do what they've done all season, which is just like produce. Um, you know, at the end of the day, this is going to kind of come down as what version of Kyle Wright we get, uh, because this is a dangerous Phillies team. And you know, if he's a, if he's the version of Kyle Wright that you know lets things get lets things get away from him, and you know, and hangs mistakes to the wrong guys, the Phillies have some guys in their lineup that you really can't make mistakes to. Uh, so it's it's gonna be it's again I I predicted I predicted this series for the Braves in five I expected close games I didn't expect this version of the close game that we got today but I don't expect t- tomorrow to be any different I think it's gonna be a close game and hopefully the Braves can edge it out. Yeah, and for a little bit of optimism on the way out here of the podcast, I just looked this up and uh, the game two odds are available. The Braves are actually favored in uh, in the market i think just based on urgency based on home field etc and the braves being a better baseball team than the phillies of course which is definitely true by this season um the braves are favored at least slightly in that game on tuesday so a big one we'll have full coverage after the game is over i don't know if it'll be exactly on on the final out like it was today because of the weird start time 4 30 is kind of in between i think it's gonna be me and scott is the plan on wednesday give eric a day off for once in his life and uh we'll have full coverage i can promise you on on wednesday but um that's all I got, Eric. Anything, anything to add on the way out here other than just uh, hopes and prayers for Wednesday? If the Phillies want to keep having Bryce Helber, Elder, not Bryce Elder, Bryce Harper lay down Zach <laughs> Bunts in big spots. Oh, please, I'm the bunting. I got, I, got, uh, I got a text, by the way, during this during the show. I will not say who it was from, although you know this person. Um, and the quote was, I am absolutely dying at the Bunts being credited for the Phillies win. Oh, so I think I know. We'll talk after we get off, but I think I know who it is. All right. So, so, so apparently, apparently there was some media cover. I, I I logged off as soon as the game was over and we started recording. Apparently, there were some takes flying places nationally or TV or whatever about how the bunts were a big part of the success of the Phillies today. That uh, please, please, please bunt Phillies. Uh, I'll take the math advantage on that all all day long. Please bunt. Yep. Bryce Harper yep. in particular. <laughs> yep. Mute the broadcast. You'll be happier. That's all I've got. Yeah, people are mad about that, but I'm gonna leave that for another day. Uh. A Braves legend, people do not like in the in the booth. That's okay. Okay, Eric, thank you for joining me on this podcast. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the show. If you are a new listener, welcome aboard. We would definitely encourage you to check us out more regularly by subscribing across platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all those fun places. Also check out all the written content of our website at batterypower.com. Fantastic cover-to-cover Braves coverage, including minor stuff from Eric and friends. Yes. I have one thing I have to note here, and Uh-oh. this just came over. Okay, love, love it. Here we a go. Quote a quote from Jose Alvarado. Okay? Oh no! I'll close out the show with this. He Alvarado said that the chirping he was hearing from the Braves dugout was coming from Guillermo Heredia. He said Heredia needs to respect the game more and plans on talking to him about it tomorrow. He feels he deserves respect for how he's pitched over the last few months. Whew. All right, that's going to go over well. Get sure. a camera. Please get a camera <laughs> on that interaction. Bally, we have friends at Bally. We have friends on the broadcast. Just put a camera and make sure that it gets seen because that is going to be hysterical. Okay, that's all I've got. All right, I'm done now. No, thank you for that. That's fantastic. Moving the way out. But yes, my, my sentiment still applies. Please subscribe to the podcast. Check out the written stuff at batterypower.com. Follow us on Twitter at batterypowersbn. Follow Eric on Twitter at leprechaun. Follow me on Twitter if you'd like to at btroland. 
and see you all after the game on Wednesday.